Amen. Hey, you guys, what's up? How we doing? How's your summer been so far? All right, all right. My name's Kyler. If we haven't gotten to meet yet, I'm on staff here. Um, been on staff a couple years. Glad you're here. Now, I'm really honestly encouraged. I was just thinking, looking at this room, how sweet it is that so many of you would choose to be here of all places on a Thursday night to hear from God's Word, to worship together. If you've been here the last couple weeks, you know we're going through this series for the whole summer, connecting the dots as we go through some Old Testament stories. And so tonight, if you have a Bible, go ahead and take it. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 22. Open up to Genesis chapter 22. Um, and while you're doing that, let me ask you a question. If, if God was going to test you later tonight, would you be ready? Like, if he, if he was going to test your faith, if God was going to test your faith, how would you respond? Like, would you be a kind of like a deer in the headlights if some trial came your way? Or would you run towards God and would you cling to him in faith? Would you obey him no matter what or would you go your own way? You see, because throughout the, the Bible, there's actually many times where we see that God appoints trials for actually for our good, for us to, to grow in, in character, in hope, in steadfastness. All of these things come about through testing or through trials. They don't come about through comfort and ease. They come about through difficulty. And so tonight, you might be familiar with this story. It's actually the, the sacrifice of Isaac in Genesis 22. And if, if you're kind of new to the Bible or you didn't pay attention a lot in Sunday school, like me, I was there for the donuts, um, we should maybe go back a little ways in Genesis, like 10 chapters back, just a quick flyover. Abraham um, is this man, this wealthy man, whom God actually came to and made a promise with, a covenant promise with. And he said, Abraham, I will make you a great nation. God tells him, you are going to have this, this descendant, and he is going to bless the world. You're going to have this family that is humongous. And Abraham had to go in order to obey God, and that he did. He departed his homeland. He did what God called him to. And this promise was something that Abraham trusted in. But his trust in God didn't just kind of remain as part of his life. It was everything. It drove what he did. It resulted in action. He took God at his word, even though at that time he was about 75. And this promise, right, it, it meant that he would have to have a child. And there was a problem. If you recall, him and his wife, Sarah, had no children. And so this would have been something a little bit hard to get over if you're that old trying to have kids, and they get older, in fact, and as, if you kind of recall their story, you know that him and his wife, Sarah, they went about trying to see if maybe God was trying to give them a child through other means, maybe not believing in total faith that God was going to do it. So Abraham slept with Sarah's servant, and they had a child together, but that wasn't the child that God had promised would be the one whom he would bless and do this amazing thing of making him a great nation through. It wasn't the chosen 
one. He wasn't the son that God was going to use to make a great nation out of. It was supposed to be this son that was born to Sarah, not her servant. And God was faithful to eventually answer this promise in giving Isaac to Abraham and Sarah. And so we pick off tonight knowing already Isaac is on the scene. And what God is going to do, we read in the first two verses, is test Abraham. It's, it's this crazy test that's almost unfathomable. Like it's, it's not just some everyday kind of test or a test you'd get maybe once a week in a class. This is like the test of your life. It's like a surprise ACT, a pop ACT. And remember, this dude's 100. He's 100 now, if not more. He's, he's over 100, actually. And, I mean, last time I checked, sometimes you don't even know what you had for breakfast when you're that old. How do you take a pop ACT when you have a crazy test coming your way? But in all seriousness, this man didn't have a perfect track record when it came to tests from God. Like, he wasn't a perfect man, but God continued to be his God. God continued to be faithful to him and, and actually send him tests that he might grow in his trust. So this is the sacrifice of Isaac. Read with me the first couple verses. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham. There's that word, tested. God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So God is really clear with Abraham. Take your only son. He even names him. In case there was any confusion, if he was supposed to take Ishmael, no. This is the only son that Abraham has in his life now. And this is the son he loves. This is the son he knows is the one that God promised him. And he is this miraculous child born to them at an old age. And God is calling him to do something that's downright unthinkable. To sacrifice his son. To literally slaughter his son. To take him up onto a mountain and offer him as a sacrifice. Like, there's not another way to understand this. This is what God is saying. God is saying, Abraham, here's your gruesome test. Go and kill your son. Like if there's ever an understandable time to actually have the response that Jonah has, you know the, the story of Jonah where he just straight up runs from God because he doesn't want to do what God's telling him to do, I think it would be now. That's crazy. Go kill your son. But Abraham doesn't run. Keep reading. In fact, verse 3 says he rose early in the morning, probably because he couldn't even sleep. And the text says he saddled his donkey and two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Abraham is taking all matters into his own hands. This is a man that has extreme wealth tons of servants, tons of people, and he is just going, I'm going to get this thing done. God has told me what to do. Can't sleep, just have to go do it. 
brings two guys with him instead of probably what normally on a journey like this would have been a huge, huge posse. And now, it's important to understand, because this is, this is a challenging story to wrap our heads around. Like, it's okay if you don't like this idea. Go sacrifice your son. It's important that we recognize in this day, and really now, all of the major religions of the world mostly have sacrifice at the center of their worship. They sacrifice animals, they sacrifice birds, all kinds of things to get, hopefully, rain from the God that they have conceived of, to hopefully get crops from the ground, to get protection from evil spirits, to get, to get safety in the car they just purchased, to not have their animals killed by a virus, to not have stillborn children. All of that is in places then in the world and now reasons why people kill animals and offer them up. And child sacrifice, especially back then, was common, sadly, to a god named Moloch. It was a widely known thing, and perhaps Abraham even knew of this type of sacrifice. And though he knew and probably felt as though this would be excruciating, painful, and unfathomable, he might have actually been fearing that someday God would call him to do this. But, okay, you and me probably know, if you're familiar with some of the Bible, that God only does what is right. He is the standard setter for good and evil. He is just. And his law actually isn't just indifferent towards the sacrifice of children. It is clearly against it. If you want to read Leviticus 18, 20 later tonight, go for it. But Abraham doesn't know this yet about God, right? He doesn't have the book of Leviticus. This is what Abraham is supposed to do. Go and obey God. Verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, or sorry, verse 4, On the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw, from the place, saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son, on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. Imagine just walking with your only son up a mountain, not knowing that he had no clue that you were going to kill him. You're walking up but we get some more insight into what's going on. Pick back up with me. Verse 7. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. It's interesting. We know here that Isaac is of some age to have kind of already know, already know what this is like to go up. He knows something's missing. Like, he knows that they normally would sacrifice a lamb, but where is the lamb? He's old enough to know that. 
Keep reading with me. We're going to read some more. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order, in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham looked Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Imagine the relief, not just for Isaac, but for Abraham. And then it says, So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said, To this day on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and of your offspring and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So we're going to come back up to the offering of Isaac in just a minute but I want to say a few things first about what God tells him afterwards. Because This wasn't the first time that God made this promise to Isaac. This is God reiterating his promise. And God swears by himself because he has no one greater to swear by. And it is the the reason that God reiterates his promise. Why is it? Look, it's because he obeyed God's voice. Like Abraham knew that continuing to obey God mattered. Even though God had already promised this great blessing to him, that he would make his name great, continuing to obey, mattered. And I said earlier, right, that we, we kind of know Isaac has to be at least of, I don't know, a certain age, six, seven at least, to know what's going on. Like you don't just take some little boy and have him walk with wood if he's not strong enough. You don't have a boy that knows what type of animal you would need to sacrifice unless he's at least four, five, six. And like, I'm a dad. I don't take like our small little children on days long journey without their mom, without my wife. So this boy knows that something is missing. Like my father, we've got everything except the lamb. Meaning this was not something new. But think through this a little bit more with me. Remember Abraham is like probably over 100. 
And yet he's restrained this young boy. Like he somehow bound his son onto this wood. And he knows that's where the lamb that is slain goes for the burnt offering. How does this old man get his young son on the wood without the son also being obedient? Like you see, the only explanation we have here is that there's not just an obedient father, there is an obedient son. We're not told either of them say a thing to each other before Abraham raises the knife to plunge it into his chest. Because perhaps both of them in that very moment are believing that God would raise Isaac from the dead. Did you catch how Abraham talked to the young men of his? When he told them that they were going to leave, he says, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. He has faith that God will provide or that he will raise Isaac from the dead. He doesn't say he's going to come back. He says they're both going to come back. He knows that God provides. He knows that God raises the dead. And all of this, listen to me, all of this is emphatically pointing towards Jesus Christ. It's pointing towards an obedient son, the obedient son in Jesus Christ. His life, you guys, his life would perfectly fulfill the law of God. Perfectly fulfill all that was prophesied about him. That he would be the sinless, spotless Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. That he would be a man of sorrows acquainted with our grief. Despised and rejected, crushed for our iniquity. This is what Isaiah 53, 7 says. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Do you see Jesus in this story? Do you see Jesus, the perfectly obedient Son of God, sent from heaven to save? The one who would walk up this hill called Calvary on this same mountain range, centuries later, carrying not wood for a burnt offering, but carrying the wood of his cross. A sacrifice that wouldn't just atone for one person's sins, but for the sins of you and me. For the sins of all those who would trust in him. Jesus Christ bore the wrath of God in his body. He's the ram who appears at the perfect time. He appears for you and for me. In 1 Peter, Peter writes that Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but in the last times was made manifest for you and for me. He didn't just come to save us. He came to bless us, to bring us back to God. He came to give us peace with God. That salvation wouldn't just be for us to get to heaven, but to enjoy 
God forever. And so that means something. That means something for life today. If, if Jesus dies for us to have an eternal inheritance, to belong to this promise, this gospel promise that was first given to Abraham, that means you and me are co-heirs with Christ. That's how the New Testament put it, puts it. And so the question for you tonight is what aren't you putting on the altar for God? Like, is there something that you're holding back from God? Is there something that you actually cannot put on the altar? What are you holding back from God? Because God did not hold back anything from you. God sent the one and only Son He loved for you. And all that God commands is ultimately for your joy. It's for your enjoyment of God forever. It's for you to flourish. Yes, God sends trials your way. He knows what's necessary for you. That looks different for the person sitting next to you. But all of those are supposed to be things that help us see more clearly the beauty of Jesus, the worth of Jesus, how God provides the thing we need most, His mercy. And what God does is that in order to do that, He removes sometimes what feels like almost everything from our life to get us to see who He is, to get us to see what He's done on the cross. Like, that means... Maybe you need to sacrifice your comfort, your self-worth, your sense of self-worth needs to be laid on the altar and you receive it from God instead of from others. Like God will do whatever it takes. He will strip you of all of that to find you. So what if the next trial, like what if the next trial that comes your way is actually an opportunity not just for you to navigate it and get over it, but to see God giving you an opportunity to trust Him, to see Him as the faithful provider that He is? You see, you guys, God never lies. He is faithful to His promise. God brought what He promised to Abraham. He brought it in Jesus Christ. It came to pass. And through this trial that Abraham faced, through this testing, his faith grew even more unshakable. I have no doubt. He was willing to sacrifice the son whom he loved because he saw God, not only for who he is, but he saw how much God deserved. Like, had Abraham not been willing to sacrifice Isaac, he would have never seen this amazing provision God had for him. And if you and me don't sacrifice, how are we going to grow in our trust in God's provision? Like, the only person, think about this, look at how Abraham just goes all the way to the point of making this radical sacrifice until God stops him. The only person that was going to stop Abraham from obeying God was God. 
No one else was going to get in the way. What's getting in the way of you obeying God? Because listen, I don't want you, this is, this is my heart, I don't want you to rob yourself of seeing God as the provider that he is, of the faithful father that he is, simply because you're holding back something from him. You see, sacrifice, sacrifice really isn't sacrifice if you don't need God to provide after you do it. I just don't think that's sacrifice. Like our trust in God is actually shown in part by what we sacrifice for him. Our dependence on his provision in our life, it grows when we sacrifice, when we put what God is calling us to put on the altar. Your faith is strengthened by the testing that God does in your life. And maybe the reason we don't put what he's asking us to on the altar is because deep down we don't believe all of his promises. Like why? Why are there things that are off limits for God in our hearts? Because there, there shouldn't be, not when we know who he is and we see how he's provided. And how are you going to know Christian, what he's calling you to sacrifice if you don't open your Bible and hear him speak to you, to hear his voice through his word? How are you going to be reminded and meditate on the promises of God if you don't daily spend time with God in your Bible? So this is, this is what I want to do with the, the rest of our time. I'm not going to be long. I want to help us just believe a little bit more deeply the promises of God to us in the gospel, and in, in particular, this promise in Galatians 3.29 that says if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Like, this promise, this promise, yeah, it came to Abraham, but remember what God said? He said, Abraham, I want to bless you to make you a blessing to all the families of the earth, to all the peoples. Like, God saved you, but he didn't just save you to save you. He saved you that you would be a blessing to people, that you would be an ambassador for his sake, that you would be someone who takes the gospel to the next person, to the hopeless person, to the person who wouldn't hear anyone talk to Jesus unless you went to them. Like you are an heir of the kingdom of God if you are in Christ. If today you cling to Jesus as the only way for salvation, if he is the sinless, spotless lamb of God who died in your place, if you believe that, then there is nothing else you need to do and nothing else you need to offer God in order to have entrance into the kingdom of God. But that means that you owe God everything. Like the Apostle Paul says that since Jesus died, all have died. One has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That's what the gospel requires of you now. It 
causes you to die to yourself. It causes you to sacrifice for Jesus. Not because that's how you get your sins forgiven. That's what you do because you have your sins forgiven. So if you belong to Christ through faith, you are eternally rich because Jesus is going to share his glory with you. You're eternally secure because nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. The Lamb already died for you. His blood was shed for you. And the Father holds you tighter than anyone does. You're unconditionally loved by God. There's nothing that you could have done this week that could have made Him change His mind about you. You belong to Jesus and He says you're forgiven. No matter what kind of summer you've already had, no matter what you feel tonight, if you cling to Jesus, your sins have been erased. And like Abraham, you and me can't see the full story that God is writing with our lives. Like We have, we have no clue what God will do with the, the gospel seeds we sow in evangelism or the the love that we show to someone who is hard to love. When you give without expecting anything in return. Just like Abraham, you and me, we're waiting for the day when we'll see Jesus face to face. We see more clearly now God's saving purposes to bring us back to Him. Abraham only knew God was up to something glorious, something majestic. Now we look back at the cross, but you and me, we don't know what God is doing exactly with our lives. But don't let there be something that's off the table for God. Don't let there be something you don't bring to the altar and sacrifice for God. Don't let it be a relationship, a career, don't let it be what those things promise you because none of those things have promises that you can take to the bank. Jesus is the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. He is the one who the Father turned His face away on for you and me. As Jesus hung on the cross... He felt the abandonment of his father that Isaac would have felt had he plunged the knife. As Jesus was pierced for our transgressions, we look up to him and we see that he loves us even in our sin, loves us while we were still sinners. And as we look to Jesus now as the risen king, we know that he is the one who's defeated sin, Satan, and death. Like death isn't even our final story anymore. Because Jesus rose again from the dead, when we die, if we die, if Jesus doesn't come back, it's only the means for us to be with God. So don't live for something less than Jesus, the one who defeated death for you. Live for him. 
live for Jesus, sacrifice something great, something costly for Jesus because he paid it all for you. He paid it in full. Pray with me. Jesus, we we love you because you loved us. You loved us first. You loved us because you are, are gracious. You're merciful. Thank you that you offered yourself once for all. That no longer do we need to offer any type of repeated sacrifice because you have done away with all of that because you were the perfect spotless lamb of god you remove our our sin you give us not just forgiveness but but your very righteousness on on us that we're seen in the eyes of the father as having your perfect life given to us as a gift God I pray that you would help us not to hold back from you Help us not to hold back from you because of your promises, because you're better. So God, we believe, but help our unbelief. We trust you, but help us trust you more.